Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Mindful Recovery. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you recover from trauma and addictions, one breath at a time. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Mindful Recovery Podcast. It's been a journey. I'm really excited about today's episode. Before we get there, I want to encourage you to go to the Mindful Recovery Podcast Facebook group. I'm starting to post articles there. Going to make that a little more active. Um, Some really good stuff there about addictions, trauma, recovery that we're going to start pounding on. Um, You can sign up for my email newsletter if you go to my website at liferecoveryconsulting.com. Then you can sign up for the newsletter on the podcast page there, and I'll be able to send you announcements for those kinds of things there as well. So I wanted to also uh, mention once again, as I do every week, that today we're going to be digging into some serious stuff. We're having a really great conversation, uh, and I wanted to warn you first that, you know, this is not a replacement for therapy. I, I would like you to be in therapy if you have trauma, if some of these issues come up today, and, and you recognize a lot of what we're talking about and the places that you have trauma with these issues, then find yourself a good therapist. And if you're having trouble with doing that, please reach out. Um, I'll give you some resources where it can help you find a therapist who works uh, within the parameters that you've set. Now then, on to today's episode. I'm really excited about this episode today. Um, Adina Bank-Lees is a therapist and I would almost like to say activist for trauma victims in the Arizona area. And she's written a couple of books. I'm going to let her tell you about that. And I'm going to have the links for all of her stuff, the exciting stuff she's working on with trying to expand a peace initiative through 12-step programs, basically, and uh, all of her work in what she describes as covert sexual incest, which is really about making the child be available to the parent in an emotional way and covert on both ends because the child really doesn't understand what's going on and sometimes the parent really doesn't even know the effect that they're having. So I don't want to tell you too much about this. Understand that all of the links for Adina's stuff will be underneath the artwork for this episode and I'm really excited to have her on the podcast this week. So here without further ado is my interview with Adina Bank-Lees. Adina, thank you for being on the broadcast. My pleasure, Robert. So glad to be with you. So Adina has written a book, The 12 Steps, uh, The 12 Healing Steps for Adult Survivors of Childhood Sexual Abuse and works in the area of childhood sexual abuse and is specifically interested in the idea of covert um, emotional incest, which is really a form of childhood abuse, um, although at times, as Adina will point out, it is covert. Um, she's working on a second book with a working title of Maybe I'm Not Crazy After All, and she is one of the founders of the Global Peace Builders Institute, which is an NGO nonprofit uh, building 12-step groups geared towards Uh, bringing peace into the world around us and reducing aggression based around the 12-step model. So, Adina, let's start by you telling us a little more about the Global Peace 
Builders Institute and, and your work with them. Okay, great. So Global Peace Builders Institute, as you said, is a nonprofit. And we basically, our mission is to, to practice, study, and teach peace based on the 12-step model, which believes really, what I like to say is it's peace from the inside out. So just like the 12-step philosophy is being reflective, changing ourselves, having a spiritual awakening, which is a change of perception, and healing things on the inside through the steps, then we are outside in the world being useful, being of service, uh, and how that really can change the, our lives and the people people's lives around us. And that's what we're hoping to do with peace. So to really focus on the spectrum of aggression to violence and how that impacts us, we really believe that we can be peace change agents as a result of the transformation and spiritual awakening that happens as working, working the steps specifically on this target. I really I like that idea because it resonates with the old saying that I've always really, really bought into, and that is, be the change you want to see in the world. So, like you said, the change occurs from the inside out. We become more peaceful individuals, and we begin to radiate that and teach that to our children and those around us. And, and I love the fact that it's based on the 12-step model. I think that's a great model for spiritual growth in general. Well, I very much agree, and I, um, those who founded this really believe in that this is a spiritual journey. This is a spiritual malady, all this violence not only in terms of war, if we get that big, but also what I found in working the steps in this program was that the way that I think and some of the things I say, it can be that subtle about how violence is in my life. So for example, when I get angry with somebody and I, oh my God, I just want to kill them. That to that point, it has really impacted me. I don't say those things at, anymore. I'm really catching myself right. and saying, so what's the truth? Yeah, I'm really angry. And, you know, there's energy in my body and I, maybe I want to punch something. Um, but I don't want to kill someone. And that might sound silly, Robert, but it has really made a difference for me. It really, it doesn't sound silly at all. For me, it's about that kind of arc of spiritual growth. And I think, I mean, you know, as therapists, we sit in the office all the time and and what happens is we begin to see the brokenness of people and how it got that way. And it's much harder to get to that place where I want to kill them because my natural response becomes at some point, my God, this poor soul is broken, you know, and that's why they're reacting this way. And so I, I do think that, you know, integrating this 12-step spiritual healing and growth program is a great way to teach people how to become more peaceful in their own lives. You know, that was the real benefit of mindfulness and, and my own practice for 15 years as a, as a Buddhist was that um, it taught me that kind of introspection. I don't think we can get in touch with our own broken places without attuning more easily with the broken places of other people. Uh, so, Adina, that, that brings us to the next topic here, and that is your book, 12 Healing Steps for Adult Survivors of Childhood Sexual Abuse, and that how that creates brokenness. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that book and the process 
that it came out of, and then we'll move on to kind of your your lecture and current work, your real passion, which is the covert uh, emotional and sexual abuse. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. What would you like me to start off with talking about the the book, Robert? What would be most helpful? How how what process led you to that book? And tell us a little okay. bit about the book and how how you find the twelve healing steps for that kind of trauma parallels the 12 steps for addictions recovery and what that process was like. So it really grew out of my 12 step work, my own personal 12 step work in addiction and eating disorders and realizing for myself how powerful the 12 steps were in transforming my internal life, how I saw myself, how I felt about myself and the relationships and the meaningful relationships that I was able to cultivate as a result of that, not feeling alone anymore. And that I think was the hugest thing was that as they say in program, you know, we'll love you till you love yourself. And I experienced so much unconditional love that that was really, really healing for me. And so what I saw for myself, given my history, and also in working with clients, Uh, was that where they got stuck in the 12 steps was about this thing, this concept called God. And so what I did in the practical guide was that I took out the word God because I wanted this to be accessible and usable for everybody. And so like, for example, you'll see... um, In step two, it says, I'm willing to ask for help rather than coming to believe in a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. Because that's basically, for me, my interpretation of step two is I'm willing to ask for help. I don't know all the answers. I'm not God. Somebody else and my relationship with somebody else is a power greater than myself. And I talk to clients about that, that what we're doing together is something greater than either one of us could do alone. And I do that in my group therapy as well. And it makes sense to people. I really like that view. I like Thank the way you, you express that. And so that, there's, there's, no, there's no block. There's no, this is a cult, this is a religion. This, it, there's none of that. This is, am I willing to ask for help? And I think it's one of the greatest gifts that the 12-step program offers us, is teaching us it's okay to ask for help. It's a we program. I think the healing power in that is that it's the beginning of relationship, and relationship is so important to our brains, so important to our development, that it's stepping out in faith and and trusting a relationship. And for so many of us who have been broken in relationship, that's really, really absolutely. And I really believe that trauma and sexual abuse in particular happens in relationship, and so the healing has to happen in relationship, and. Again, that's what I tell my clients in the therapeutic relationship is the laboratory to be able to experience things and have a different outcome, have a corrective experience. So I'll give you an example. So one of my clients got very angry with me recently, and what we were able to do was to work through that, and she was given permission to be angry with me. She had the experience that I didn't get angry back, that I didn't shame her, that I didn't abandon her, that I didn't fire her, that I was said, I'm right here. 
It's okay for you to be angry. And we're going to work through this. This is a very different experience for people. And so, again, in the laboratory of a safe relationship, and don't we need safety in order to heal? You know, we can't do any work unless there's some level of safety. And so, yeah, I I agree. You know, relationship is where it happens. I like that. You know, that's – as you were talking about that, I'm thinking of the work of Heinz Kohet, who talked about becoming that parental imago for – clients and and showing them what it means to be you know corrected in this almost parental way but in a loving way not in a critical angering destructive way so i really really like that view yes exactly um i want to move on a little bit you're you're coming up with the next book working on it uh, maybe i'm not crazy after all is the working title i understand what, what does that book that center book on? That book centers on covert emotional incest and my story of my experience of it. And the reason why we're writing it that way is because there are a couple of self-help books out there about covert emotional incest. And for what I know, there are only two. One is Pat Love's book, The Emotional Incest Syndrome. excuse me, and the other is Dr. Ken Adams, excuse me, Ken Adams' book, Silently Seduced. And I really, really feel like there needs to be another book out there that is somebody's story so a client or anybody can read this book and identify with it as well as question things. But it's, a, it's different stories of my story. So it's not linear, but you can read a few pages and go, oh, okay, I get that part. Oh, I understand now how addiction is related to somebody who experienced covert, covert emotional incest. Oh, so these are the steps that she used to have meaningful and fulfilling relationships and be more, you know, be successful in her life and be joyous and passionate. Let's, uh, you know, that's, that leads me into this, this idea of covert emotional incest. And, and I really want to hear what your uh, definition of that is and would like you to tell to my listeners this, the story that you told in one of your lectures I saw on YouTube about the young boy who was told, you know, at the funeral that he was to be the little man of the house now. So I'd just like you to relate that story because you're so much better at it. And 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 how how really that is at the crux of cuz I think that's a great example for what you're talking about when you say covert emotional incest. So if you could just jump off there and tell us okay. what this is all about. So one of the things that you and I were talking about prior to to this discussion was about how people do this innocently, that there's no there's no um, maliciousness, there's no malintent in this, which is one of the reasons why I want to be talking about it and getting the word out, because we don't realize how impactful it is and how negatively impactful it is and impacts a child's development. So, so the example is, so here we're at a funeral. We have a 38-year-old mother um, husband dies. We have an eight-year-old son. And people at the funeral, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. And 
saying to the little boy, so you're the man of the house now. Now, we hear this all the time. You're the man of the house now. He's eight. He's a child. He doesn't have the neurobiology. He doesn't have the brain development to make adult decisions and to be a man. He's a child. Um, You're the man of the house now. What is the covert or subtle, not direct message for him? Is that he needs to be an adult. And then we could even go further. The man of the house Hey, that means I'm equal to peer with spouse of my mother. What needs of hers do I have to meet? So immediately it's, I can't be a kid. I have to meet all these needs of other people. I have to have these responsibilities. I have to make these big decisions. And I can't. It's something I'm not equipped to do. And so you want to talk about anxiety? Um, the body starts, adrenaline starts, cortisol starts. And so we know that these kinds of chemicals definitely impact brain development. They impact memory. They impact concept of self. They impact ability to make decisions because when we're highly anxious, there's not a lot of blood going to our left brain, left prefrontal cortex that helps us make decisions. And that's really just developing in an eight-year-old. And so if we're impacting that, no good, Robert, no good. They also, I think they also, you know, you brought up the cortisol and the the reactions of the brain. What we also know is that it, it creates this, um, you know, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So it creates this response to, um, I'm being asked to do something I'm not prepared to do with immediate overwhelm and the anxiety response, which really carries into adulthood. So that when I ran into those tough places, instead of being able to just sit with those tough places, breathe through them for a little bit and make a decision, I go immediately to that kind of anxiety response that I've become used to since childhood. Well, I totally agree with you. And then also, if I am trying to meet this role, you know, and be in this role of man of the house, what does that mean? And so I attempt to do that and I become more of a role than a human being and what does it mean to be a kid and play and have fun and with without all these responsibilities it's hard enough for us as adults to take on these responsibilities never mind as a child which i know very well because my experience was i was expected to be a lot older than i was and to uh to do things for my parents emotionally that i was not equipped to do so let's talk about that because the example we start with is is a fairly innocent example that really comes about because simply adults aren't really thinking a lot about – they're trying to be comforting, but they're not thinking too deeply about what they're right. saying to the child or the, or the anxiety that's going to put on them. Um, but there are other examples where it's more the child being asked to carry the emotional weight or emotional role of the missing – parent, right? So um, can you talk a little bit about that, about those deeper examples that aren't necessarily as innocent, even though they might not be directly considered or thought Yeah, about? and I, I really, I think as I said to you before, I really believe when this happens that kind of the definition, I don't know if we even defined it yet. So covert emotional incest is when a child is used as a, an emotional mistress or a surrogate or substitute spouse or partner for one or more of their parents or caregivers. 
Okay. So parents, caregivers use one or more of their kids to meet their emotional needs and be a surrogate spouse. This could be in a single parent family. We see this a lot in addicted families. Makes sense. So we have very classic dads out there using. Mom's lonely. What ends up happening? The son or the daughter or both end up being like surrogate spouse to her. She confines in them about dad is never home and I can't believe this and he treats me this way and he's doing that. Um, But you, you know, you are here. You can help me. Um, I feel so much better when I talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. So, again, not meaning, not being malicious, not having the skills and awareness of what she's doing. Um, And that, I really believe that, that parents oftentimes don't have the skills. And if there is, uh, single parent families are at very high risk for this. Addictive families, high risk for this. Uh, For my own example, my parents love me very much. I have no doubt about that. And unfortunately, yeah, they didn't have the skills to be aware of Uh, their emotional needs and that they needed to be speaking with each other about certain things rather than using me as a confidant about one another and engaging me in attempting to, you know, how can we fix this? How can I help your mother? How can I help your father? How can, how can we have a better marriage? Um, They had no idea what they were doing. Because I was a precocious child. I was, oh, she's, you know, three going on 35. That was the big joke. You hear that too, Robert. You know, kids are so, oh, she's so much older than her age, you know. Um, And so I think there's a combination of things that that go on. And it is really hurtful. Um, And the other thing I want to say is not only about surrogate spouse in those ways, but covert emotional incest is also when kids are around, exposed to, given, highly sexualized information or material. So again, it's when a parent uh, or caregiver is watching pornography with their child or adolescent. So we're talking about young child. I want to say adolescent as well. When um, they have witnessed somebody else's sexual abuse, oftentimes that will happen in a family where there's physical incest or sexual abuse that happens. And one of the kids, and I have clients who have told me numerous times, I was in the same room. I shared a room with my sister or with my brother, and I knew what was happening when mom or dad came in the room, and I pretended to be asleep, but I heard everything. And the guilt that that induces in that child and the feeling of responsibility is huge. Again, overwhelming overwhelming for the system and what do we how do we define trauma trauma is an overwhelming event or series of events that happens where your normal regular coping skills don't work and so yes all of this is traumatizing and you talked about brokenness Um, what I would say to that is I really believe that our souls get wounded And that um, the healing and recovery process is about healing our soul. I don't believe it kills our soul because I believe in resilience. And I see it all the time. I see resilience all the time. And I can tell you, Robert, I've heard stories because of the level of trauma uh, that people have that come to me for 
therapy. Uh, I, it's hard for me to believe that parents do this to children and that humans do it to other humans. And yet these people are resilient. They're here. Yeah, they're they're yeah. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I tell them all the time, you're, you're, you feel broken, but the truth is you're a survivor. You know, you've been through this. And um, at times we sit, and I know you're familiar with this, we listen to stories that are so horrible sometimes that we have to make sure we're doing our own self-care once we're done. Um, and one of the things I think of when I talk with my patients about brokenness, I like I like to tell them two stories. I use the one of the the... I think it's called kinsori. Uh, it's Japanese pottery where they take a pot and intentionally break it and then yes. reseal it with gold so that the real strength yes. comes out of its brokenness. Um, and then there's a, a poem that's attributed at times to Rumi about uh, a man talking to, to God and um, talking about what do I do with this, what do I do with that, and the man says, what do I do with my heart? And God says, what do you hold there? And he said, my pain and my sorrow. And God says, stick with it. The broken places are where the light enters you. So I think there's a lot of healing to be offered in that brokenness, but it can be, like you said, extremely overwhelming, and it rewires our brain so that it's not working as effectively as it should. Um, So, Adina, tell me a little, it, it seems to me, just as I'm sitting here thinking about what we've been talking about, that... You know, your week-long peace exchange, the, the, the Global Peace Builders Institute, really plays into this kind of trying to restructure societal brains, not just on an individual level, but on a societal level, trying to restructure that place a little bit. Tell me how that – it seems to me, and maybe I'm off, but it seems to me it was kind of a natural outcropping for you to go from one to the other. Can you tell me about that process? Yes. Um it's really an interesting story, and I actually just shared that story in my monthly e-letter. Uh, so if anybody's interested, you can go to my website and uh, click on blog, and you'll see that, uh, adinabanklees.com. Yeah, so... Great. I, and I'll be, for our listeners, I'm going to be making available all of the connections to your book and your and your website and stuff underneath the podcast artwork so if they go get the podcast all they have to do is scroll down a little bit and click on those links and they'll be able to access oh fantastic too, fantastic so. so the link was that uh and it was synchronicity uh that i got a call from a man named judson webb uh from sweden He's an American living in Sweden, and he was referred to me by a colleague of mine that I hadn't seen or talked to in about 20 years. And Judson and his wife, Sheshti, were talking about how to use the 12-step format, the 12 steps, how to adapt them to this aggression and violence, because Sheshti and Judson work in the peace-building world, and they really wanted to put the 12 steps in there as well as experiential, not only therapy, but models. So Judson and Sheshti are performance artists and wanted to use theater exercises to also engage people. So one of the things we find is that when people are creative together, there's not violence. There's joy and collaboration. 
And there's stuff that comes up for people, absolutely. But um, it's really, I, I, it's really an experience. Um, so how did it happen? Let me go back to that. So I get this call, and what I knew in the last couple of years was that I needed to move from solely doing private practice to getting back into training and consulting and working on a larger level. Just spiritually, I knew that that was happening. Coming from my own meditation, that message has been coming clearly. And so I've been taking steps to do that. And here comes this opportunity for me. And Robert, that's how my life works. That is very synchronous. I think it's it's the old Chinese proverb that if you take one step towards the universe, it will take ten thousand steps towards you. You know, yes. that, that when we open ourselves, like you said, to those promptings, then everything starts to. And fall that's very place. true for me. And so this feels very right to move the my traumatic stress healing interventions into the bigger world. That's what I feel like I'm doing now. And being a part of a team rather than a solo practitioner feels really good to me because being in private practice can be lonely in spite of my being very active in consultation and staying in touch with my peers and doing professional education, etc. for myself. Uh, being a collaborator on a project or many different projects uh, really just keeps me alive and passionate and excited and um, having the, the information and the training and the skills that I have to know about what we're talking about. It really assists in the group work that we're doing because people's sexual abuse uh, history of sexual abuse and violation as children often comes up when we're doing this work. You know, that's that's a really interesting point because, again, we come back to this this broken social connectedness. This as really a, the real the more I dig into it, the more I see that the real harm of trauma is that it it damages our ability to socially connect and relate and yes. on a healthy level and without those supports we end up in addictions and and other unhealthy coping mechanisms to try and numb out those hurt spaces and so what i'm hearing you say is that this has become a real opportunity for people in general in recovery to start having an impact in the world around them start building that sense of i can be a healthy part of the social world. I, yes, I really and like I believe that, that wholeheartedly. And uh, one of the things I haven't spoken about is my experience with psychodrama. I'm a certified practitioner in psychodrama, and psychodrama is the soul in action. That's what it means. And so psychodrama yeah, is a like part that. of what we do at Peace Exchange and, and part of the, the methods that we use at GPI. Um, and so, and, and goes so well with the 12 steps. Um, I'd say the 12 steps in psychodrama have been the two major pieces for me in my recovery. Um, and going from survivor, as you said, that you tell people you're a survivor, I do the same thing, but going from survivor to thriver, that's my piece is I don't want to just be a survivor. I want to thrive. I want to participate. I want to be joyous, happy, joyous, and free, you know, 
I, I want that. Absolutely. I want that in my life. Like and that. so, yeah. And, and what, uh, Dr. Jacob Moreno is the founder of psychodrama. He talked about the essence of healing the planet was about relationship and what he called the encounter, which, and his poem about that says that I would take my eyes and put them in you and you would take your eyes and put them in me so that we would see the world in a different way and have the empathy for one another. And that that's the answer. And I have to tell you from the peace exchanges that we've done already, that is the main thing that people talk about that has impacted them so greatly that they come out of what 12 step people call terminal unique, terminal uniqueness. And they come into healthy connection, intimate connection where they share feelings, where they share their experiences, experience strength and hope. This is all the 12 step piece of GPI where they share their experience, strength and hope and the connection and the, um, yes, the attunement, the ability to, the ability to feel felt in that is the changing piece. Absolutely. And you know that. And I think the audience knows that when you feel felt when you feel like somebody really gets me somebody sees me that is the healing and that's the piece that is missed if i want to go back to covert emotional incest and child abuse that is a major attachment developmental piece that's missing for kids with covert emotional incest i'm not seen for me i'm seen to meet your needs not as who i am I'm seen as you want me to be. And that that creates a break in attachment and security so that I can feel good about me. Yeah, it's that I stop I stop being a being and I become yeah. an object is the is the real pain and of a that doing. process. You know, I'm a human doing rather than a yeah. human being, which is what my recovery's been all about is being. Right. Well, Adina, I want to thank you for being on the show. This has been a fantastic conversation. And I really look forward to getting to know some more about the Global Peace Builders Institute down the road myself, personally. Um, It sounds like a really cool, exciting project. Well, thank you so much. And um, uh, this project, as well as training and teaching clinicians all over the world about traumatic stress and addiction and their relationship and the healing process from that is my passion. And so I really appreciate you giving me the platform and the opportunity to talk about that today. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. This was Adina Bank-Lees, and I'm going to have all of her contact information below the podcast artwork on the website at mindfulrecoverypodcast.com. So that was my interview with Adina Bank-Lees. I really, really enjoyed her. We're very kind of simpatico in our approach to trauma treatment and addictions. And it sounds like we've had a similar recovery process from that discussion and from other discussions I've had with her. Again, I'm going to put all of that stuff so you can access all of Adina's materials, her website, her books, and the Global Peace Initiative, all uh, underneath the artwork for this episode number 19 on my podcast page at www.mindfulrecoverypodcast.com. One final time, I want to ask you to reach out and join the Facebook group out there, because I'm going to start 
pounding some resources out there for people. I've been kind of lax in that, and we're going to get on it. And I really want to make this a community where we can come together and just ask questions and maybe find some answers and maybe make referrals to professionals where they're needed, things like that. So I hope to see you next week. Um, Also, if you want to reach out to me and email me, you can do so at liferecoveryconsulting.com or robert at liferecoveryconsulting.com, either one. And If you have questions about your work in recovery, trauma, and the mindfulness practice, please do feel free to reach out to me. I'll answer quick questions, no problem. If you want to do some coaching work and deepen your practice and learn how to do some other things, I'm open to doing that too, and we'll put you in touch with a good therapist in your area. And so, with the sound of the music, you know we've come to the end of another week's episode of Mindful Recovery. I want to thank you for being here with me. And remember, Mindful Recovery is the podcast dedicated to helping you recover from your trauma and addictions, one breath at a time. <laughs>